as he makes another huge play on Thanksgiving. Make a pro size. Watson's going to throw it to him. He secures it for the touchdown. CJ Prosize now going back to the end zone, and it's an over-the-shoulder catch and a touchdown by Duke Johnson. Lost this one for Fuller. He's open. Touchdown, Houston. Duke Johnson tosses it back. And wide open is Fuller for the touchdown. Are you kidding? And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, episode 50, as we're talking your Texans straight from the Great British Isles, as the Texans have won back-to-back games, put up 41 points in the process, another coach fired, and an all-round decent performance, helping to talk this one through me this week. I'm delighted to be joined by Corey Davis from the Locked On Texans podcast and Sports Map Houston. Corey, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. How you doing today? And thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, oh no worries, thanks for the time. Uh, yeah, good. I think it's, um, have you recovered from Thanksgiving? It kind of feels like a different different week when you play on a Thursday night. Oh yeah, man, it really does. You know, there, there's two sides of covering the Texans when they play on Thursday like they did last week. You know, you have to squeeze in all of your pre-game notes and everything in a short amount of time other than having that full entire week but the best part about it after they play on that Thursday you do your recap Friday and you have the rest of the weekend to chill and that's what me and my co-host John actually did so you know it's pros to constant them playing on Thursday but I think I would much rather them playing on Sunday just so I could get that full week of studying the opposing teams and all that other good stuff yeah I think so and did you when you're still working on Thanksgiving, did you still get to enjoy it this year? Or? Oh, oh yeah, without a doubt. Um, as soon as the game was over, you know, after I did my um, post-game show with my co-host, John, I stuffed my belly. And after that, I went to sleep. <laughs> and you got any, have you got any Thanksgiving favorites? I made this year uh, well, a, a, a full attempt at Thanksgiving dinner, but I did, I did, uh, did turkey, ham, uh, different types of potatoes, and I did... A pecan pie, which took me three attempts to get there, but I got there in the end. <laughs> cool, man. Um, I actually did not do any cooking this year. Um, me and my wife, Angelica, we had went over to my mom's house, and my mom did most of the cooking. Um, my favorite dish from her is the baked macaroni and cheese. That's what I love the most. All right. Yeah, I was going to try that, but I, I think it's difficult to get all the sides right. And I think as well, <laughs> I think I think when you – yeah, you can have too many sides at times, but yeah, mm-hmm. mac and cheese is a pretty good one. I think – it. I, I don't know what you felt, Cody. You, you're always kind of got a, a work angle to it, but I thought within the context of this season, considering how well the team played, it was you know on Thanksgiving, it was a pretty good, pretty good day out for the Texans, I think. And uh, you know, it, it felt you know you felt let. There's been many weeks we've talked about this, and there's not anything to talk about off the field this week. Um, as much as these stories that keep lingering around. But it, it felt kind of just a feel-good game, which I don't think we've had for a long time. Yeah, without a doubt. It really was a – I wouldn't necessarily say a feel-good game. It was just a game where you can, one, honestly, and just enjoy watching the Houston Texans play. We all know the first four weeks of the regular season, it was pretty It was pretty challenging watching this team as they lose constantly. But after the firing of Bill O'Brien, this team has looked a hell of a lot better. And what we saw on Thursday was just a team, you know, that's better than what their records show. They are currently four and seven. And to be honest with you, I honestly do think that this is a team that 
could sneak into the playoffs given that the NFL is currently um, they are about to expand the playoffs um, given the fact that, you know, a lot of games are being canceled and being, being interfered with due to COVID. I've always said that this team was better than what their record showed, and they showed that on Thursday. Now, granted, they did play the Detroit Lions, who are a little bit worse team than the Houston Texans, but a win is a win in a performance that not only Deshaun Watson and his receiving core put on, the defense as well. It was just an all-around great performance. And what I also would like to say that this is actually the second time that we actually saw the Texans play a consistent game. I'm pretty sure you remember when you go back to those first four games of the regular season, consistency was their number one problem because it seems like we would get a good quarter from the Texans in one game, then the last three will be terrible, or we'll get a good first half or a terrible first half, and then in the second half, it's the complete opposite. The best thing you can do is go back to the game against the Pittsburgh Steelers when they were actually up in halftime, wait, were they up in halftime? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah, they okay, were, cool. I, I just wanted like to make sure yep. that they yeah. was actually up in halftime, and then the Steelers came on and just routed them in the second half. I believe they was actually held held scoreless in the second half. And I know consistency was their number one problem, and now we are starting to see the Texans play consistent on both sides of the ball, and that is the and that is the main factor why we're looking at this team two and zero over the past two weeks. Yeah, and I think consistency, you're right. I think the turnovers helped them sort of grow into the game, but I, I, it felt like on the first two drives, you know, they, they could have scored, and then obviously they get the turnover, and uh, and then they've walked pick six, and and uh, and that really, you know, brought them to life. And I think that the consistency is one element, but I think when your defensive ends, you know, hauling in a, a short a short outside pass takes it back to the house, you mm-hmm. know, akin to what he did in that Cincinnati playoff game. I think it's it's the first time you've probably seen the defense, you know, literally go there. You go, guys, to the offense, go and finish it off. You know, apart from the Watt one, but you know there was two other fumbles. Okay, the, you know, I think CJ Procise will regret that one fumbling straight after the third <laughs> fumble because uh, I think if you go and score then on that drive, I think the the game is probably dead. You know, it's you know, and it, and it was the Texans kind of grew into the game, and I think that was what for me was great to see because you. You saw what, you know, and it was an O'Brien phrase, but it was complimentary football and both sides contributed positive. Mm-hmm. Now, I think an element of it is you've got to think about, you know, where the where Detroit done, how much were they playing for Patricia? Uh, he's now, you know, gone. Um, but I think it was similar to what, you know, Houston had to deal with in the sense that it was, a, you know, one of these Patriots experiments out, out with Foxborough and it didn't work. And uh, you could tell those guys weren't playing for them, but... Nonetheless, I think, I don't know if that was the best performance Deshaun's had this season, but it was considering the opposition, but it was certainly up there. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And Deshaun Watson, my God, I said it. I said this almost every single week. I'm starting to run out of ideas of how to talk about how great Deshaun Watson is because it seems like every single week, we are seeing a better performance. Now, I know you say you don't think that this was his best performance. I'm actually going to say it was his best performance. And you take a look at what this guy has been doing ever since Bill O'Brien 
has left this organization. You're talking about a guy who has thrown for a little bit over 300 yards consistently almost every single game. You take a look at the fact that he's thrown, I believe his touchdown to interception ratio is 18 to 2 since Bill O'Brien's departure and it's 15 to nothing over the last six games. I do believe if the Texans had a better record, he would be in the MVP conversation. And I know there was a lot of, of of people being very upset about the departure of DeAndre Hopkins. And I was upset as well. And I wish that Hopkins was still a part of this team. I'm not going to lie to you. I am sick to my stomach every time I see him put on a show in Arizona because I believe he still should be wearing a Houston Texan jersey. But what I would say is the one part of me that was actually kind of happy that Hopkins was gone was the fact that I say to myself, okay, now we're going to see how good Deshaun Watson really is. Because it's one thing when you are a quarterback and you have one of, if not the top receiver on your team, everybody's going to look good. But you remove that element. You give him a guy like Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb. You know, those three guys, they are not scrubs by by no way, shape, or form. But they are nowhere near as close to the player that DeAndre Hopkins was. And the fact that we are seeing Deshaun Watson play just as good, if not even better, without DeAndre Hopkins, that lets me know that this guy is extremely talented. Matter of fact, he's better than what he has showcased through the first three years of his career in I don't know about you, but I am truly excited to see where is his career is going to take us. Now, granted, a lot of it is going to depend on what the Texans do this upcoming season with the head coaching search and the general manager search. But man, Deshaun Watson, you know, me and my co-host, John, we actually had a little bit of a of an argument a couple of days ago on Locked On Texans. We was actually discussing who is the better quarterback out of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. And I know he doesn't have the MVP. I know he does not have the the championship ring, but I I will say that they are what and what, and I will actually give the nod over to Deshaun Watson a little bit because you take a look at what Patrick Mahomes is working with. He has not one but two offensive brilliant minds on on the sideline coaching him in Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. You have one of the top ten receivers in the game in in Tyreek Hill. You also have the best tight end in the game. So it's like Patrick Mahomes is in the perfect system. Then when you take a look at Deshaun Watson, this is not a perfect system for him. His roster actually gotten worse. And in the midst of all this, the guy has gotten better. So I just hope that the Texans put together the the right system around him this offseason because, man, what I don't want to do, and I don't know if you listen to Locked On Texans, but if you do, I'm pretty sure you heard me say this a lot. I don't want to see the Texans waste this, this, this man's career because they have something special in Deshaun Watson. And I cannot wait what the future have in store for this guy. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, yeah, I think that the KC debate, you know, if you, if you swap those guys' situations, would it have been likely that something in KC won a Super Bowl first? You know, if you swap those two guys around draft picks, you're probably right because uh, there's a much, you know, more stable set up with a better system uh and i think I, I don't think that can be disputed i mean it, i mean it's, it's it's all hypothetical right so yes it's impossible to say but uh, yeah i i don't think there's i don't think anybody can watch deshaun this year not think this has been his best season that the frustration has been of hmm. course for everybody that you know could the record because despite 
his his best ball. It's been eroded around him to the point that you know at times he can't do anything. And the Texans, I don't, I I believe, have not led time of possession in any game uh, this year, and have not ran more offensive plays than their opponents at any game this year. And a big part of this is because they can't run the ball, and that's still an issue. Um, but I thought that I thought in the last couple of weeks, Tim Kelly, albeit I don't think he did a great job early in the season. How much of that was to do with O'Brien? Probably a lot. Um, but you know, we'll never truly oh, know unless you're, in, <laughs> unless you're in those meetings. But yeah, I think in, I, I don't know if you remember last year, Cody. There was uh, a clip that came out uh, from Lance Zerling talking about how Bill would come into the meeting rooms late in the process during the week and interfere with the game plan, and that would lead to inconsistency. And we've hmm. seen that impact of that be less i think and there was a play early on i tried to put out on twitter i think twitter's kind of or the nfl have got onto me about putting game clips out because they've blurred my clips today uh but i tried oh, to put man. out I, I tried to put out on the first drive mm-hmm. there was a the play to kiki it was actually a really good play fake aitken's motions inside duke fakes as if he's gonna run and and uh, aitken's is the lead blocker it fakes sort of sells the play action um, and both Fuller and Kiki were open. He probably, if he if he hits Fuller, you probably score there. It was just out of Kiki's fingertips. Um, but it was, you know, quite creative and and suiting to Sean's skill set. You know, he was an empty play action deep ball. All three things that he excels at. So mm-hmm. you know, we we just haven't done enough of those concepts that that suits him. But to see it on that play, when I just started watching some of the all twenty two before the. Before they cut my tap on, on Twitter, I'll need to see if that fixes itself at some point this week. Um, but, but yeah, I think Tim Kelly's just done a good job of the offense, and I think Fuller. Is there ever been a quarterback connection? And some may say Shab to Johnson, but have consistently put up long chunk plays, touchdowns. Because that touch, the first touchdown of Fuller was just you. You couldn't draw it up there. You know, it was just perfect. Dropped it right in the bucket and in the end zone. No safety over the top. You know, Ogunwari, the corner's not got any help. Fuller takes it in. And then there was a trick play. And I couldn't, I, I don't know if you can remember, Cody, but was, when was the last time we scored from a trick play? I've been trying to find out and I can't, can't Man, for the life of me. Work that might have been the second trick play in Texas franchise history. No, <laughs> no, no. Successful I take that back. One, yeah. I take that back. There was, a, there was a trick play last year, I believe, that involved the. DeAndre Hopkins throwing it to Deshaun Watson. Oh yeah, the oh the Patriots game. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. That yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But maybe not quite to the extent of that one where actually I thought Duke just sold it so well because mm-hmm. the, the 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 I think it was a backer, a DB's blitzing from the weak side. All the all the line in motion uh to the right hand side. Nobody gets caught more than five yards down the field because that's happened a number of times in yeah. the last couple of weeks and it happened again with Titus Howard. And look it's a tough one because you know you expect the shot to run so you want to try and clear lanes but if he throws it then it's, it's coming back for a five yard penalty. But but yeah no, nobody was offside and you know Fuller just runs it in easy and I, it, that, that was good to see and it, it it was there's been times you know in the New England game where we should have put our you know we had we had their you know we had them under the cosh we should have finished them off, and I thought that was good that you know we didn't let a team that were we're obviously far more talented than, but we didn't let them get back into the game, and we just made sure we kept going and kept going and kept pressing the second half and and, and putting up forty one points on the road is you know it's going to get you a win more often than not. 
Yeah, it is. And, you know, going back to, um, you know, what you was talking about, Bill O'Brien interfering, that actually is something that Deshaun Watson kind of hinted at this past yeah. week after the win against the Detroit Lions. Um, he was asked, you know, what it, what what is one of the main differences of you guys being 4-3 and three under Romeo Cornell, which I think this team possibly could have been 6-1, and one, but that's another conversation for another day. But, you know, he basically said that, you know, that Romeo Cornell is letting – his guys go out there on the field and just play and don't interfere. And that's something else that Justin Reed actually sort of um, said, not in the, not in the same way verbatim, but he actually said some, something along the lines of having a coach to go out there, put you in a position to go out there and succeed. And also, allowing the guys to go out there and make plays. And I, I I'm not sure. I think Bill O'Brien's main problem was the fact that, not only was he power hungry, but I think O'Brien might have been too much controlling. And I've always felt that O'Brien was holding Deshaun Watson back. And now with O'Brien's gone, like I don't I, I don't know if you agree, but this is the most I've ever seen Deshaun Watson call as many audibles as he does. And I, yeah, I noticed that in the first drive and exactly. he was trying to, he was and he was trying to bait them off. He was using his voice and he looked confident. Mm-hmm. You know, I always remember Cam Newton doing that and he used to have a great you know, when when Cam Newton was at his prime and he took Carolina at Super Bowl twenty fifteen, he was brilliant with audibles at the line and it was you know, it was it, it added yards every game. Um and yeah, it reminded me a bit of that. Just somebody who looks like he's he's on top of him and he needs to be. Yeah, and 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 I think that's where we're starting to see Deshaun Watson even more because I've always felt like <laughs> this guy Watson, those first three years that he gave us, they were good, but I always thought it could be better. And that's when we're starting to see with with him under Romeo Cannell and even with Tim Kelly. And I, and I will also say the same thing on the defensive side of the ball as well, because I know there was some kind of friction between him and Anthony Weaver a, a little bit. I'm not going to say too much, but I know there was some kind of friction between him and Anthony Weaver. I'm pretty sure you saw the reports as well, especially that week, um, the week that O'Brien was let go. And now it's like Romeo Cornell not only trusting his players, but he also trusts in his coaching staff as well. And that is part of the reason why, I don't know if you will agree, but that is part of the reason why, because I know this offseason is is so important. I'm under the impression now, when I take a look at how great this team has looked on both sides of the ball the past two weeks and offensively, even beyond these two weeks, I'm actually under the impression like, I would like to see Romeo Cannell, Tim Kelly, and Anthony Weaver get another shot of coaching this Texan team for a full entire season if they cannot get the their top coaching candidate this offseason. Because what I don't want to happen is for the Texans just to hire someone like Adam Gates just because they know they need a head coach or, or something like that, you know? And I'm like, if you don't get too three of the top coaching candidates off your list, don't rush the process. Just give Romeo Cannell, Anthony Weaver, and Tim Kelly another chance. Because I do believe if they, if those three guys would have had control of this team early, we would not be looking at a team that's four and seven. I believe we possibly, most likely our record will be reversed seven and four. Because what I'm seeing 
from those three guys on the sideline is part of the reason why we're seeing a better version of the Houston Texans in these last two, three games, well, the last two games, actually, versus what we saw in those first four games of the season. Yeah, it's, it's difficult for the, the coaching staff to make changes in season. I think this season was always on a hiding to nothing. We didn't probably realise that until week four fully, but it was on a hiding to nothing because of the, the off-season we had. And you can't reverse an off-season. And it, yeah, and I, I agree on the premise that every coaching staff would do a far better job with getting the players they want in and, uh, and having the, the off-season to coach it up. I don't know what the next off season is going to look like, and I think it maybe it will still be you know precautionary measures in place, so it's not going to be your traditional OTAs, training camp, all that kind of stuff. So I I think what what the last two games have done, and you know if you told me it was a choice of somebody else or the three guys we've got, I'd take somebody else just because I think O'Brien. For all his flaws, he was probably the best coach on his staff. Now that and that in a sense is is a ridiculous statement, but it was true because you know the head coach shouldn't be the best coach. He should no, hire the I, best coach in each, each position. <laughs> and I think he controlled everything to the point where actually when you two came out of it, all these coaches left aren't very good. You know, I, I really, you know, at this NFL level. And a lot of them, you know, guys, not great resumes. And you are seeing, you're particularly in the Cleveland game, you know, they're not good enough. So I think we need to clean house and just start afresh. But I think, yeah, I think they, they deserve credit. And I think, you know, on both sides of the ball, you know, you saw Anthony Weaver blow up in his press conference. And I think there was some friction there. What kind of defense Rack was asking him to run? Because Rack's very much an old school cover to Ben, but don't break, don't get beat by the deep ball. Let them have the stuff underneath, um, you know sure up against the run. I think Weavers, you know, said, you know, probably gone back to him and said, look, right, you know, we can't rush the passer with the talent we've got. We're going to have to bring, you know, extra blitzes and do stuff that probably goes against his natural instinct. And I think he's, he's conceded on that one. I think that's been a big difference in the, in the defense the last two weeks because they played far more aggressive. Now there was the, the one drive where uh, they ran it 10 times and end up kicking a field goal. Um, and, you know, the, the run defense is still a big weakness for this team, just as the, the players on the back end are not, probably not NFL starting caliber corners, you know, bar Black, Bradley Roby. But I think that Cronell's definitely given a, a lease of life to the team. You know, it took, a, it took a, a jump in the first week against Jags. And then it sort of faltered a bit. But I think the last two weeks, I think just what we touched on earlier, I think the freeing up of the defensive play calling and the offensive play calling to a degree, because I... I know we did run some trick plays with with uh, O'Brien was there, but not very often. And it just looks like everybody's playing free. And I think a great example of that is just Brandon Cooks, how he's coming. And uh, he's just a really good role in this offense. Um, and he just sits down in the zones and, and, and just picks up easy yards and lets, the, lets us move the chains. So I think overall, we just look like we're, we're more freer in the passing attack. Um Still don't think we're there with the run game, Corey. I think we have to accept that we're just going to have to, you know, play short dump-off passes. But then when you've got a running back like Duke Johnson who holding that sluggo to go and make that, make that score, I think it just shows you we probably weren't playing to a lot of our guys' strengths. And I include David Johnson in that. Don't get me started on a run game. I am so sick of this run game. I don't know what to say at this point. Um, but what I would say is this. When... 
David Johnson comes back, I do believe that he should be the second string running back because has Duke Johnson been the your your R pro running back or anything like that? No, not by far, but he has been more productive than David Johnson. And I was actually on 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 the on the the train of of saying that David Johnson was going to have a bounce back season, but was I expecting David Johnson to come in and be the guy that he was in 2016 when he was arguably um, the best running back in the league? No, I did not. But I thought that he would have been more productive than what he has been show- showcasing this year. Um, the run game has been terrible, but I do believe it is a little bit better with Duke Johnson in the backfield. And I don't know what else to say about it. It's 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 just bad, and I do believe they need to find some kind of way. Whoever they bring in as general manager, they're going to have to find some kind of way to improve that backfield heading into the 2021 season. Yeah, I thought it was interesting how Jordan Aitken's got a, a carry from H back uh, or the sort of fullback position on a short short yardage. You know, I think it was a third and four, um, and that was quite good to see. It was just like you know, like the trick play. It was stuff different. I think. You know, I think Duke's long was, I think he averaged just over four yards a carry. I think he had one of eight, which was his longest of the day, which for us in the last couple of weeks has been is pretty good. Um, That's because no, David Johnson been out. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I did an article on podcasttexans.com about the run game. I took ni- the true nine run plays last week. Go and check it out if you haven't read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I just broke down all the plays from the Patriots game. The nine run plays, not the sort of kind of, you know, runs at the end where they're obviously trying to kill the clock and the, and um, one was a one was a broken RPO play that you should have thrown it, but so there was, there was nine in there, and it was a mix of scheme and it was a mix of blocking. There was two plays there where Brandon Cooks just isn't a good run blocker, and you shouldn't run at his side, and the team should have worked that out by now because that's been obvious. And he killed two plays that were set up perfectly. Um, and sometimes, and then there was a couple where the scheme weren't, you know, the scheme just isn't where it needs to be. Um, Maybe it hadn't been checked to the line. So I think it's multifaceted. I think you but I think what the, the next coaching staff needs to do is come in and get, you know, maybe make one or two changes across the line and get them all, you know, running a consistent type of run game. Because if you if you saw the Tennessee game on Sunday, they've got about three or four plays to run. You know, it's outside zone left, outside zone right, inside zone, you know, B gap, you know, and it's just it's it's all the same, you know, pitch right, pitch left. So it's, you know, it, it's, it's one of these things that, you know, you saw David Quisenberry playing it there at left tackle for them. And in a first half, they, you know, they put up 300 yards, predominantly a lot of that on the ground. So it's a lot to do with coaching, I think, um, more than anything else. And I don't think it wouldn't matter if you had, you know, vintage Emmett Smith or whoever you want to put there back, back there this year. And I think they would have struggled to put up yards because it's just been broken as a whole rather than down to any individual player. But don't get me wrong, David Johnson is not the player he was, but I think it's it's broken in many facets. Yeah, and I agree with you. I know the offensive line has not been um, that good. Matter of fact, it hasn't been good at all, you know, blocking for the run. But David Johnson, no, that's, that's not the answer. Yeah, it needs to be a, a guy who's got a lot of juice, on a rookie deal and run him in the ground for four years and then move on and find another one. You know, I mean, you don't you don't need to have the best running back in the league. You certainly don't need to pay two running backs and have the one and have the worst running game uh, in the NFL. But I think it was you know we we've shown that as long as you just run it enough, 
you can and you, and you don't need a running game to, to to successfully run play action as well. I think you know people like people around the league understand that now. It's, it seems counterintuitive, but you don't. You just need to sell it enough to to make them think you want to run it because defenses love coming downhill and stopping plays. So whether you think they're going to, they think you're going to be successful or not is irrelevant. They'll they'll still come down, charge the linebacker. As long as you get the linebackers to bite and clear that space in, but you know in behind, then you're going to you're going to make plays and play action. So. It's, it feels like they've evolved and realised their weaknesses, and I think that's the big change from the O'Brien era. Is it was just the stubbornness to stick with things when they weren't working, um, and then probably the, the the naivety to stick with things when they went too long when they were working. So it feels like there's a you know a bit more balance on both sides of the ball, which puts us in a, a good position. Was there any uh, standouts on uh, on offense? I thought Aitken's dropping two TDs was uh, you know. I think because Fuller said that right at the end of the game, we left we left mm-hmm. points on the field. It was put up forty-one. You know, he had those two on as well. Uh, you know, that's another eight points that we left off the field. Yeah, and Jordan Aikens, you know, he's still trying to work his way back um, from the ankle injury and concussion he sustained prior to the, um, I believe it was week four against the Minnesota Vikings, and he was out a pretty long time. Um, yeah. He's still trying to work his way back, but you know. <laughs> As good as the Texans play, those are just two mistakes that I know one. I know one of them for sure. Deshaun Watson say he kind of put too much on his throw. And that's part of the reason why Jordan Aikens missed one of them. But you know, Aikens, the game before that against the New England Patriots, that guy played phenomenal. Phenomenal. So as good as he played against the Patriots, a game against the Lions, he 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 could afford a couple mistakes because we had other guys stepping up around him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think so. And. Uh... And he's, yeah, I think when you come back from injury like that, and then you play two games and you know just under five days, it's, it's tough on the body and maybe just a little bit of because uh, I think the second one he beat uh, is it Chandler Jones that's there, the expatriate. He beat him on the outside. He actually puts his arm, he, he puts his arm in the air for Watson to go find them, and then you know, okay, the Jones sort of kind of you know sort of waves his arm, you know, in a sort of backward motion through his hands, mm-hmm. and he just kind of loses it in the air, but. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, look, the guy was in a position to make the play on another day. He hauls those two, and I think it just it didn't cost us, so it wasn't it wasn't too much of a deal. Um, and I think overall on, on the offense, um, it was it was a good outing. I noticed as well in the second half, they popped uh, Kelamenti in at right guard uh, for Fulton. What are you making of that? I thought it was an interesting note. Um. I, I I liked it. You know, it it was better than what I expected to be honest with you, but. At the end of the day, all I can say is, yeah, I, I will say I will leave it at that. It was better than what I expected. I, I can't lie about that. Yeah, I think it's, it, I think that they're obviously looking at experimentation of, of people at that guard spot, and then obviously Kelly gives that sort of flag flag away. Um, stalls is you know when we end up kicking a field goal. I'm pretty certain it was on that drive. So yeah, it was it was a good. I think yeah, I mean offense that you can't complain. Defense was good. I thought Justin Reed backed up another performance. You know week on week. Um, and then I'm not, I don't know. What's your thoughts on Terrell Adams? 17 tackles, a couple of fumble, you know, forced fumbles. I'm not, I've not been hugely convinced, but you know, when a guy's playing like that, you know, who, who you to, who you to tell me is probably, you know, probably not worth at least a, you know, a third, third linebacker rotation and, you know, and a good roster. I want to see Terrell Adams back. You, you, you say you, you would like to see him back as a third string. Well, yeah, I think, I don't know if he's, yeah, I think, yeah, there's been some games where he's played really well and I think he's grown into it. Um, I, I don't know if he's, an, can you, 
I don't know if you can count on him every week. Um, but yeah, as I said, I think you can't argue with 17 tackles when you see it on the box score. I'd love to know what the average depth of yards past our past our uh, the, you know front 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 four front five where he makes those tackles. I don't know if his tackles box scores are a byproduct of our front not being very good. Um, but he certainly looks like he could be a player who's just like Pharaoh Brown on the other side of the ball could be cheap additions to this roster. We're going to have to find you know, value at certain positions. And I think he might, you know, I think he might provide it if he continues to improve in the way he has. Oh, he has already provided it. I like Adams. And to be honest with you, I want to see Adams back with this team next season. I'm not sure off the top of my head what his contract looking like. I believe he signed a one-year deal. Um, but Terrell Adams has been very good for the Texans uh, Texans linebacking core. And to be honest with you, outside of Zach Cunningham, I would possibly say that he has been the second most productive linebacker that we have had. And yeah, I know we got Whitney Merciless, but look. I'm tired of Whitney Merciless. This is a guy that only steps up when it's, when he's in his contract season. You take a look at the year where he recorded, I believe, 12 and a half sacks a couple years ago. That was his contract season. He got his money. His production declined. Then we all know last year, the first part of last year, I believe he recorded like five and a half sacks. Um, he was on record to be a, a pro bowler for the first time in his career. Got his contract extension midway through the season. Production declined, and we're starting to see it again in 2020. Terrell Adams is hungry. This is a guy who go out and work. I get it. We was playing against the Detroit Lions, but he has stepped up in several other games. I believe his very first game this season was our first win of the season against the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was part of the reason why um, the Jackson the Jaguars did not rush for over 100 yards that game. Um, and the same can be said for his performance against the New England Patriots. This is a guy. That, he is a he is the definition of a hidden. Jim and I love what I'm seeing from Adams. Matter of fact, I had an opportunity to speak with him following his Thursday game, and I just asked him, "What does this mean to you to go from, I believe, an hour before the Texans called him up for to to be a part of his practice squad? Um, he was actually in an interview to for a job as like some kind of salesman, and to go from that in August." to leading the leading the Houston Texans in tackles on Thanksgiving on a national uh, a national broadcast game on Thanksgiving day you know I just had to ask him what does that mean to you and all he could say was you know it's nothing but a dream come true and it's nothing nothing but a blessing and it's like every time, whether it's coming from myself or any of the other Texans reporters, you know, we talk about, you know, a great performance that he has had or, you know, a great stop he had. This is a guy, he is hungry. He is dying to continue to get better. And Adams is one of the players that I actually wanted to see because Bill O'Brien came into the season talking about how this was going to be a veteran year. And after we started 0-4, and we know that, Whatever the Texans do from here on out is going to prepare them for the future. I actually wanted to see them go out and play some of their younger guys. And more so on the defensive side of the ball, more than anything, you take a look at Ross Blacklight, you take a look at Jonathan Renard. You know, I wanted to see what those guys could do because I felt at the end of the day, Bill O'Brien screwed this team up so bad to the point we're not really talented like we once were. You take a look at all the players that we, you know, lost during free agency or by some stupid trade. And then you consider the fact that a guy like Bernardrick McKinney got hurt. You know, injuries started to take a toll on this team. 
I always felt that this team had talent, but they were sitting on the sideline. Now we're starting to see these young guys like Adams, like Jonathan Grenard, like Ross Blacklock. I, I still want to see John Reed, and I'm very interested to know how they're going to incorporate Isaiah Coulter into the lineup because that was part of the reason why Kenny Stills actually got released because Romeo Cannell is finally starting to get it. Hey, let's see what these young guys can do. And that's part of the reason why we're starting to see this turnaround with this team as well. So Adams is right along with that young core who's hungry, who's willing to go out there and lay, it, lay everything out on the line. You say third string, I want to see him back. I'm not going to go as far as say I want to see him as the primary starter, but you have to, whether it's the Texans or any other team, you have to give this guy a solid role where he can contribute. And I think that he can possibly turn into something special. Did you know Terrell Adams is 28? Hey, he's 28. I know he's been in the league, I believe, since 2015. <laughs> it's only been four years. But, yeah. but, yeah. but at the end of the day, he this is the first time that he actually had an opportunity to go out there on the field. Because if I recall, I believe he signed with the Seattle Seahawks as an undrafted free agent in 2015. So he's basically spent the majority of his career on a practice squad. Now, oh, yeah, he, yeah. And I believe he actually um, played with the Raiders back in when, of course, when they were still in Oakland, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I believe that was the Raiders where he was able to get some playing time, but majority of it was on special teams. And I don't know about you. I don't really, you know, it's special teams. You, you can't really show what you can do on a special team. But this is the first time in his career that he is actually getting a consistent amount of reps on the defensive side of the ball as a linebacker. I think we're, we're probably overdue to find one of these guys that's productive and we're not paying a huge amount of money. It feels like, you know, no more than the merciless contract, right? The, the over, You know, the, the value to, to quality play ratio is, is totally out of kilter. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of good to see a guy that's come through and, you know, he, uh, he sort of flashed a little bit in the Tampa Bay game last year. It's kind of good to see somebody like that come in and play. I, I, I'm not being overly convinced with him, but I think the, the reason, part of the, not, not that's not hundred percent down to his ability. It's more just the role he was being asked to play, um, you know. But in terms of in terms, you know, he's, he's two twenty eight. Is he a downhill thumper? But he's he's shown quite a bit of versatility, and he's obviously growing into being a pro. So, um, you know, I th- I think he's, he's he's it's just good to see somebody coming in and be productive that we've not had to, you know, pay over value for you know over the over the cap uh, valuation of him. For next, you know, is well, he's over the cap valuation in terms of his plays, three million this year. Um, so you know, he's definitely outplayed. He's, he's sort of 970 k vet minimum he's got. So um, I think, yeah, it's good. I thought, I thought uh, Nate Hall as well comes in, and, and again, guys, you know, you probably wouldn't have talked about, um, but uh, Nate Hall comes in and, and racks up two, two, uh, two sacks in the in the fourth quarter as well. I know it's kind of garbage time, but it's good to come and see guys that you don't necessarily. You know, no, you probably, most fans will probably be, you know, typing it, his name into Google right now. But, yeah. um, but, I, but, you know, I thought it was good just to see guys that, that haven't always been in the box score for Houston is, is coming and making some plays. And to be honest with you, you know, a guy like Nate Hall, even Adams, uh, the guy that we just finished talking about, I want to see the Texans actually take more risk like that. Because, like I say, it's, it's one thing to stick with the guys that you know are not getting the job done. So, 
sometimes you have to dig deep at the bottom of your bench and see what do you have there. And once again, like I just said with Adams, and I'm not going to um, repeat what I just said about Adams, but it, it's similar to Nate Hall as well. You know, like you mentioned, it was garbage time, but now that he has gotten some kind of experience, let's see what he's going to be able to do, you know, if you give him just a little bit more defensive snaps. Because at the end of the day, like I say, this team is not talented, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And when you take a look at the fact that they have no calorie salary cap space, you also take into consideration that they don't pick until the third round of next year's draft. They're going to have to get creative. They're going to have to get creative and find some kind of way to improve this team, especially on defense. And that is part of the reason. And that is part of the things that they can actually do. Go out there and see who do you already have on your team? Because you never know. Hall, I, I highly doubt he would, but he might be just as productive or even a little bit more better than Adams. I don't I don't agree with that statement, but I'm just saying you, you never know, especially with younger guys, these rookies like Blacklock and Grenard. Yeah, well, I think they're, you know, I don't think it's any, you know, secret they're going to have to move BMAC's contract off the books. So, you know, the, the, you know, I think Adams is probably in there. I, 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 I know he's on the IR now, but assuming it is 100% down to health. But I thought mm-hmm. if, if you'd asked anybody, it would have been Dylan Cole would have taken that third linebacker spot rather than Adams. But, you know, fair play to the guy. He stepped up and doing stuff. What about um, any other defensive stands out? I thought obviously Watts picked six. We touched on it, but hell of a play, right? Um, to be honest with you, not really, except for the guys that I just named. I know over the past couple of weeks, along with um Justin Reed, I like what I've been seeing from Lonnie Johnson Jr., especially the game against the New England Patriots. Now, this is a guy I have been really hard on <laughs> ever since he came to this team last year. It always seems like doing training camp, doing practice, you hear all this good stuff about him. You see him making all these good plays and stuff in practice and training camp. And then when the lights are bright and it's time to go out there on the field and perform, he shrinks. And I've been pretty hard on this guy because I do believe he has some type of potential to be something really good in this league. You know, not like Hall of Fame worthy, anything like that. But I do think he can be a really good defensive back in this league. And I like the experiment, how they took him from corner and put him in at safety. And I, I, I like what I've been seeing from him over these past two weeks. And, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to evaluate the Texans' defense right now because we've only seen them play two really good defensive games. I'm really interested to know how good they're going to be against the Indianapolis Colts. I have that game yep. as a really big key because it's like this team is starting to turn things around on both sides of the ball, especially on defense. I'm truly interested to know what they're going to do this Sunday. If they can somehow sustain this level on play on both sides, especially on defense, then I can truly say, okay, you get this team to five and seven. Now we can start talking about the possibility of them maybe sneaking into the playoffs. And even if they don't make the playoffs, you know, I asked, I think it was Deshaun Watson or Justin Reed. I can't remember which one it was, but I asked them, you know, the importance of finishing out this season strong. And they they say that the main thing that they don't want to do is create a losing culture that can carry over into next season. And I 100% agree with that. And like I mentioned, even if, which I know nine times out of 10, they probably will miss the playoffs, you have to finish off the season strong. Give to, to it, In order to 
have something to build off or something positive to build off when you're looking at the 2021 season. Yeah, I think and it's, it's an advert for every, you know, GM and every head coach, you know, do you want to come and coach this team? And there is, you know, it's, it's talent deficient, no doubt about that. But there's definitely, you know, a lot of guys in there that could be cornerstones that you could build around. Justin Reed's one of those. It's been good to see him pick his game up the last couple of weeks. Um, to try and I think you're right, Cody. I think yeah, we, we've we have improved on defense, but yeah, I think an acid test. This will be this weekend against the Colts. Just before we move on to the Colts, Kenny Stills getting cut. What do you make of that? Because I just it just feels like a yet another example of roster mismanagement when we've paid him, you know, seven. Or I think he's due seven million this year. I think we've paid him five of that when you prorate it over the games. If he doesn't get claimed on waivers, which I don't believe he has done. Uh, we don't get the two million cap savings, so it feels like you know if if his role was going to be this at the start of the season, which you could kind of see, it was going to be the fourth receiver. Um, you know, we should have we shouldn't have taken on that salary, considering how how tight we are up against the cap. And I think it it puts that trade in perspective as well. But what do you make of the Stills release, and particularly the timing of it? And I didn't think he was injured, if I was honest, against. The Patriots, the way he was kind of walking up and down the sideline with a baseball cap on, and mm-hmm. then I wasn't surprised that he didn't uh, that he didn't necessarily uh, make make the journey to Detroit. Yeah, um, well, first and foremost, you talk about roster mismanagement. I'm pretty sure that's something not only you, but something me and John <laughs> are going to be talking about on our podcast because they're going to be trying to clean up a lot of Bill O'Brien's G- general manager moves. So. That's going to be a topic we're probably going to be talking about over the next six months or so. But, you know, to be honest with you, the Kenny Stills release, I'm not surprised that it happened. And to be honest with you, I'm actually surprised that it took this long before it happened. Um, Because Kenny Stills was in a weird situation, you know, going into this season, there was a there was a possibility, you know, he was flirting around with the idea of sitting out due to the fight against social injustice. You know, I mean, as a black man, you know, if he wanted to sit out for that, I would be one of his top, you know, top supporters of it. Um, But to me, I've always felt like his mind wasn't truly in football. And I, I said that last week. I thought that last week before the release, I said exactly that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't the only one. <laughs> oh, no. And um, to be honest with you, you know, you you cover the Texans and I know you are familiar with Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicle. I actually had Wilson on Locked On Texans a couple of weeks ago um, around the time during the trade day line. And I asked him about the possibility of the Texans moving on from him. And he told me a lot of teams don't really want to kick the tires on a on a Kenny Stills trade, especially trade a valuable asset for him because a lot of people just don't know just didn't just don't know his mindset or you know how yeah. much is he into this season. And and like I said, as a black man, I, I truly understand it. But I also believe when you take into consideration, you know, his mind was was more his mind was on more important things. And then you yeah. look at the fact that the receiving core was just too crowded for him this year. You know, you you take a look at you you brought in um, Brandon Cooks, especially Randall Cobb being a slot receiver. You know, it, so you bring in those two guys. You you add in the fact that Will Fuller has not only played as 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 you know you you add in the fact that Will Fuller has not only had a career year so far, but the fact that he's healthy. Because I don't know if you remember, but I truly believe the reason why we saw Kenny Stills 
close to or possibly at his best last year. You know, he was basically Deshaun Watson number two receiver. And I say that because Will Fuller was in and out of the lineup. And you know, it. either he was hurt or he'll start a game. Next thing you know, going into halftime, coming out of a break, you'll get that notification. You'll get that alert. <laughs> Will Fuller is not going to return. Will Fuller is probable. So it was like throughout the 2019 season, it was basically Deshaun Watson going out there with Kenny Stills and Hopkins. Now he's going out there with Fuller, who is healthy, Cooks, Randall Cobb before he got hurt. And not only that, now you're starting to experiment with Kiki QT as well. I think this year the receiving core was just too crowded for him, and I do believe that is why we saw a big decline in his numbers. I mean, you take a look at the first 11 games last season. Um, at this point last season, Kenny Stills was already at 32 catches for 469 yards. This year, through the first 11 weeks of the season, 11 catches for 142 yards. So it was a mixture of him not truly being focused on football, but also the fact that he did not have the opportunities that, you know, he had last year. And, you know, to piggyback off what you said about, you know, putting that trade into perspective, look, at first, when the trade first happened, and even more so all throughout last year, I felt that even though the Texans gave up a first-round pick, I felt that that trade was needed because we needed someone to protect Deshaun Watson. We needed someone to actually come in and help that offensive line who let Deshaun Watson get sacked 62 times a year after he heard, I believe he tore his ACL yeah. during his rookie season. So... Yeah. If I'll ask you, Cody, sorry to interrupt, but I was going to ask oh, you, no. right? See, if if the way Watson is playing now, if you put that same line from 2018, do you think you'd be taking less sacks because he plays smarter now than he did then? Maybe, and that was another thing because I know his first two years, especially his 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 that second season where we actually saw Deshaun Watson for that full year. The biggest problem I had with him was the fact that he was holding on to the ball way too long. Now he's not doing that. Yeah. So I can't really say that would he be taking less sack with that offensive line that he had in 2018. I can't really say. All I could do is go by the numbers and say, okay, maybe he won't get hit. Maybe he won't get sacked 62 times, but I'm pretty sure he's still going to he's he's still going to be in a in a position where he's going to be sacked and hit too many times that you want from your franchise quarterback. Let me just say that. But. Yeah. You yeah, know, I think we could improve. I mean, we we would have improved it gradually, and I think mm-hmm. I suppose I I think that I I don't mind about the stills thing because the stills was kind of you know it was added value. It kind of made it feel better. You know, he wasn't worth a second round pick, but he was added in there. And yeah, I mean, look, that was we can don't want to go over too much old ground. But I I, I think probably for me, what make what nips at the back of my mind on that tree now is the fact how well you've seen the twenty twenty draft class of offensive linemen <laughs> play yeah and you, yeah and, and look it wasn't always like that i don't think 20 uh, 21 draft classes is, is shaping up to be that deep at that position but you, you've got worse you've okay andrew thomas doesn't play well but he's in new york so you know we can kind of take that one how you want but you think mekai beckton looks you know in a terrible jets team and i know in 12 jets team looks good um and okay, he was second that went, and then you've got Worfs, and then you've got uh, the guy for the um, uh, Willis as well from Alabama that's played. You know, we watched them like you know two two weeks ago against the Browns, and he looked good. So I think that's probably more 
for me uh, and the salary you put in, you add it all in, you know, and I think it's, it's, it, it's not quite, I don't think it'll ever, you know, you could fully justify it. I get the premise of it. Um, and just like I get the premise of releasing stills, but I, I think, you know, we, you said like we crowded the receiver room, but we, you know, we didn't need to crowd it with Cooks, as, uh, you know, and once you've already signed Randall Cobb, when you've already got Kenny Stills on the outside, you know, and I think we, we didn't need to, you know, we, we took on at least one salary too many. Because I think when you see the game that Kiki had, you know, he's involved in a lot. He catched the shovel pass, you know, you know, there was a Kiki play for a two-point conversion or short yardage, you know, situation. Mm-hmm. So that tells me that guy can play. And, you know, the fact he's been inactive for so many weeks was, I think he's just been coached terribly. So, you know, perhaps you didn't need to sign it, but it just feels like we've spent far too much money not managed the talent available when, you know, that money could, you know, anything, you know, even one or two players at five million each this year on defense might make this unit a bit, you know, a bit more serviceable on the defensive side of the ball. But yeah, like we all know we're in this trouble because O'Brien just kept throwing everything he had at the offense to to prove his point that his scheme worked, <laughs> you know. And uh, and it's it's you know we're in that position. But sad to see Kenny go. But yeah, I think like what you you pointed on there that I didn't think his head was in it all year. And I think if that was the case, they should have just convinced them to sit out because actually, if you look on paper, okay, we didn't know Fuller was going to be healthy, but on paper we probably didn't need to take that contract on. Talking of contracts, what do you think? Fuller's situation is because he's he you know he's our number one receiver right now and he's you know is he just a franchise tag candidate or do you think they'll can work out a deal in the offseason considering the salary caps that you uh to be honest with you this is what I'm most conflicted about um talking about Will Fuller um let me let me just start off by saying one I've always been a huge fan of Will Fuller you know I've, I've always felt the fuller that we are seeing this year is the fuller that I've always knew that was inside of him. You know, yeah. Will Fuller isn't a scrub. And, I've, and I always say, look, is he a, you know, is he a DeAndre Hopkins? No. But if you was to put receivers in tiers, like let's say if you had three, no, let's say if you had five tiers of, of receivers with a guy like Hopkins being tier one, you know, that's your Michael Thomases and all that other good stuff. And let's say, you know, tier two, I would have to say that Will Fuller was a solid tier two receiver. And I've always felt the guy is talented. I still feel that way today. But even though he is extremely has 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 proven everybody wrong that he can stay healthy this year. I believe his hamstring only flared up, I think, once, and that was a, that was the second game of the season against Baltimore. Yeah, Baltimore, yeah, yeah. I'm conflicted on how much do you sign Will Fuller to a contract. I'm conflicted because do you pay him like a top-tier receiving even though he's shown that he's worth it this year? You can say yes, but then again, you have to think about, look, that was only one season. If you go back and look at those other four years of his career, a lot of it, you know, we say the same thing. Will Fuller is great. Oh my God, Will Fuller is about to about, is is going to be a a tier one receiver along with DeAndre Hopkins. He's on course to have a career season. Boom, his hamstring flare up, or you know his knee gives out. Then he's out for the season, or he's in and out of the lineup so much he he doesn't look good. I, I'm conflicted to be honest with you, and it was part of the reason why I kind of wanted to see the Texans part ways with him at the trade deadline because I felt. His trade value was as high as it possibly would be 
And maybe, just maybe, we could have maybe tricked a team to give us a first rounder back or a couple second rounders. I don't know. I'm yeah, I think I, I think if they, somebody offered them a first, I think they would have taken. I know Romeo was talking about deluxe nuts or whatever, yeah, but the I think deluxe it was, nuts. I think a deluxe nuts was a first rounder. But I think. Oh yeah. I I, I said at the time, and I wish we'd done this, and you know, people doubt me. Go back and check on that one. But I said when you know, either when when Watson signed his deal. It could have been the easiest sell to Fuller. You've not been healthy, but we're going to offer you a two-year extension or a three-year or with an option with a third year on top of your fifth your fifth year option that you're you're playing on this year. At, you know, say Robbie Anderson money, which was circa ten twelve million dollars a year, mm-hmm. and we could have done that. You know, with Sean, these are our two best offensive players. I believe Fuller's going to be healthy this year because it was all he was one of these guys. He was so effective when he's on the field. He kind of had yes. to. You had it was almost like he was worth having around because you just to try and replace that is would be so you'd have to be so lucky uh, to get somebody in the draft like that because you're not going to sign a free agent like that that's for sure because I don't think there's many players in the league that are that explosive bar you know Tyreek Hill DK Metcalf you know there's not many that are explosive like that they can just they just run by guys and just lead, you know show the the DB a clean pair of heels because that's what he does and he, you know, there's not many guys that can do that and um, I think that. If you the, the problem is the franchise tag for next year sixteen million just over thirteen point nine on the transition. The transition tag for me maybe is an option because I think if you pay him sixteen, then that sets your base, you know, for them to go and negotiate with his agency. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beyond that, and you don't want to piss a player off like that when he's so integral to your your offense. But it's in, I I think it, again it's probably another roster mismanagement. They could have maybe got him for twelve thirteen million a year now this off season um hmm. on an extension and you know push some of that future guarantees back a bit um on the basis that you know he'd not been healthy i couldn't see him not agreeing to that but look hindsight is 2020 and this year but i, I think it's, it's there's been a lot of issues where we've, we've mismanaged but he may be one of them i just hope for watson's sake like you're talking about getting the coaching higher right i just hope for watson's sake we can we can get you know him secured long term because as long as he's healthy there's not many people can do what that guy can do. But that's the problem. Can he stay healthy? And and I 100% agree with you. You know, I really wish that we could have, you know, gave him an extension, you know, two years plus the, you know, player option for your third year. And I think that would have put the Texans in a position and Will Fuller himself in a position where, you know, if the, the Will Fuller that we've seen in 2020, let's say if we see that same Will Fuller down the line in 2023, or two or 2023 then you feel okay you know paying him but to only have one good season well let me just say this to only have one good healthy season and remember we still got five more games to go but to have one good healthy season and and you know you, you you take into consideration you have your franchise quarterback you already gave up you know one of well, of course, his best targets, but not only his best target, but one of his closest friends in, in Hopkins. You don't want to make that same mistake with Will Fuller. Now, you know, going back to the trade deadline, I'm kind of worried to see what Fuller and his agent is going to do because Fuller did come out and say that he was actually a little bit disappointed and kind of hurt that the Texans were, you know, kind of shopping him around. So I don't know how much he's going to use that to hold some kind yeah. of leverage over the Texans, you know, going into this offseason. But well, I think he's got all the leverage, isn't he? When you when they're running out of time, he can do it. And that's why I think, you know, you have to give him a tag. Because I think 
surely the tags made for a guy like that, you know, can he stay healthy? But we're only signed in mm-hmm. in one years, thirteen point exactly. nine on the transition, fully guaranteed. Even if he is injured, he still gets paid. So the the the, the risk is a bit more evenly spread with that way. I, I I would think that would be the way, but you never know. There's me- means and ways to get around the salary cap if he can if he can negotiate on the cash flow. I don't see an issue why we can get him. Uh, you know, as long as we've got somebody that knows what they're doing, structuring these contracts, not the Whitney Merciless, <laughs> not the, the Eric Murray, not the Kaimi Fairburn, uh, you know, oh, to name God, a few, no. co- the Nick Martin, you know, deals that are just not, we're, we should never have been handed out. Um, mm. But here's a guy I think has shown, you know, top, you know, top 20 at his position talent. That's the guys you pay. The rest mm-hmm. of the guys, I think, you know, if they're not on that level, they're replaceable, not tier one guys. But we'll see. I hope he stays. I hope he stays. But anyway, Corey, we have got a bit of a Chicago sandwich either side of the Colts here. So we've got the Colts this week at NRG. We go to Chicago uh, and then we're going to, you know, take the short trip to Indy uh, the week the week following. We're sitting at four wins right now. Um, Indianapolis obviously lost the weekend. So there's seven. We've still got Tennessee to play, and if they, you know, win a couple of more games, that game is likely meaningless for them. Obviously, depending on the Baltimore uh, Steelers game, if that gets cancelled, then we're up to eight. You know, I don't know how many games need to be cancelled for them to get to eight eight playoff teams, but it feels like there's a chance to just take it one week at a time. But when you've got the Colts two weeks out of three, it feels like you can sort of treat this like a bit of a a playoff kind of bowl game scenario here. Yeah, um, I know I said this earlier, and it's something that I've actually, you know, talked about a lot on my show as well. Um, Look, this week is a must-win game. And, you know, with the possibility that there might be eight playoff teams per conference, I feel if the Texans can somehow get a victory over Indianapolis, I'm not worried about Chicago. They could take care of Chicago. I think that will put them in a position where you can start – getting a sense okay there's a real possibility this team can go to the playoffs and not only that it goes back to what i was talking about earlier of not of of building off of a successful a a a second half a successful 2020 season versus losing out and then you know you're stuck with a losing culture so this week is a must-win game and I also say it's a must win, not only for the playoffs aspect of things, but this team has looked really good over the last couple of weeks. Um, You saw they almost beat the Titans. You saw, well, basically ever since Romeo Cannell has taken over, this team has looked really, really good. You know, Um, the only game I say that Green Bay and the Green Bay game and the Browns game. Yeah, I was going to say the Green Bay game, no. I don't want to consider the Cleveland Brown game, a bad game for Houston, only because of the weather. That weather forced the Texans to rely on their running game, and you and I just talked about it. (laughs) They don't have no running game. So that's why I kind of take the the Cleveland Browns game out of it. You know, that's why I say the only game that I could honestly say that they actually lost was the game against the Green Bay Packers. Because I do believe if they went into Cleveland and let's say it was sunny, um, they didn't have no interference from the win, we, the Texans would have won that game. Because Cleveland, I don't know why they're so not as good as they should be on paper, but they have proven time and time again, when you have a decent quarterback on the, on the, opposite, on the opposite side of the field, they're going to struggle. And nine times out of ten, they're going to lose. And I 
I like to think here in Houston we have more than a decent quarterback with a guy by the name of Deshaun Watson. <laughs> but, you know, with all that being said, this is a team that's looked really good. I think not only can this boost their so-called playoff hope, but I think this can actually just boost the confidence of not just a guy like Deshaun Watson who – confidence is probably through the roof right now but you just take a look at every aspect of this team especially the young guys that you and I just finished talking about and guys who are finally starting to get a consistent amount of playing guy of uh, playing time this game if they can win on Sunday it's going to do a lot for this team closing out the the, the rest of the season yeah I, I mean it, it, it's a it's a game that can you know if they lose and the, the the, you know the season's over I think because I think statistically at the seven playoff team right now is is you know less than a percent or something like that or it was going into the D- Detroit game so I think mm-hmm. the the it, it gives you a chance in the division because you've already won your first well, you, you've won two you know two and one in the division if you go three and one it gives you a chance and then you go and play them again now of this next three game stretch you've got to you know i think we could maybe go two and one if we go three oh, I, and agree. Oh, I agree yeah i think if we go three and one uh, it would be you know or sorry three and oh rather i think it would be you know <laughs> this team has definitely turned a corner and there'll be guys making contributions that we you know we're playing you know are playing the best football of their career you know it could happen uh, we're certainly you know build the momentum after the colts coming off a, a tough loss as well and i know buckner was out and there was a couple of players with covid and you know, you just never know this year if, if what players are going to miss out. Houston seem to have done a good job in the building of of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, but apart from the the trip to Jacksonville where a couple of linebackers missed out, so you know, all things being equal, if Indy get all their guys back, you know, particularly Buckner, who's I think been one of the best bit of off season businesses done uh, by Chris Ballard, you know, around the league. But it, there's a chance if you know if 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 we can go and get a victory on Sunday, then I think that it gives the the end of the season a bit of you know a bit of hope and a, and a positive complexion. Now I think just as it will give the defense, I think you can argue that offenses Watson's played his best ball against this year haven't been the, or defenses haven't been the best. So you know if he can go out and give another you know twenty eight plus point performance and the defense just does a decent job against a team that want to run the ball. Then you know if we, I think we, long as we can make a ball game of it in the fourth quarter, we, we can have a chance. Yeah, I agree with you, but you know I know a lot has been said about the Texans' run game. This is a game where the secondary, a secondary that I've been so frustrated with all season long, this is a game where the secondary is going to have to step up because T.Y. Hilton, this man has always put in work against the Texans, yeah. and <laughs> I'm kind of afraid to see. What is he going to do? That's that's why I have them splitting against Indianapolis because I know with Rivers and T.Y. Hilton, they're going to torch the Texans in one of these games. I hope it's the second game, the second time we face them and not this first time. Yeah, and I think India are a weird team because that defense seems to be coming together nicely. Okay, you took three key players out. I think Grover Stewart was out as well. He's been a big guy for them. I saw the... He'd uh, signed up. I think I think it was him that signed an extension this week. So you know the rewarding mm-hmm. players, and they've got a plenty of salary cap. There, so it feels like you know they're going to get better. But I think the big question with Indy is just how does Philip Rivers play? Because if you watch the the tape of them when they played Cleveland, it was just him and Baker trading interceptions, and it you know it was and it was a it was a strange game to watch when both quarterbacks are turning the ball over like that because it can go anyway. So yeah, look if Deshaun plays his best and the offense is productive, yeah. 
we've got a chance against anybody. And I think that's been the only reason we could watch this team this year. But I think it will be a, a real test for Weaver and all the defensive guys if if they've turned the corner or they just you know or they just beat uh, also runs of the of the league, which they've kind of done. And look, the Patriots wasn't a, any uh, wasn't the worst team out there by any stretch, but um, they're certainly not certainly not a form team. But um, but Indianapolis coming in here on Sunday, what do you what do you think? Uh, Cody, what do you think the keys to, to sort of stopping them will be? Because I, I, I'm just so cautious that every time we play a team that's good at running the ball, we, we've had that's where really our struggles have, have been born out of. Um, to be honest with you, <clears throat> I think it just goes back to what I just finished talking about the secondary and containing T.Y. Hilton. Um, that I think that is going to be their number one key to winning this game. I know Indy is pretty solid at running the ball and you know our run defense has been god awful this year. But when you actually look at our run defense, I don't think it has been as bad as everybody look. I mean, of course you you take a look at the final the stats what the stats show, but when you break down those stats it's not as bad as it may seem. And you know, going off the top of my head cuz I don't have my notes in front in front of me. I know there were at least Three games this year, going into the fourth quarter, the Texans actually was doing a solid job at stopping the run. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The fourth quarter has been the issue, I think, yeah. Especially those – the I know for sure the game against Baltimore, the game against Pittsburgh, and I can't remember what that third – I believe the Cleveland Browns. Um, you yeah, know, and, and Kansas City as well. They just ran it down their throat, yeah. It, exactly. You know, when you take a look at those games, especially the three that I just named, I think the Texans held them. They, they, they was holding those teams to under 100 yards on the ground. But the thing was, they had these epic fourth quarter collapses. And when you go back and look at the epic fourth quarter collapses that they had, it was more so the fact that the defense was always out on the field because the offense was not doing their job. And it was almost like to the point where the Texans defense just got gassed at the end of the game. And that is why you saw all those, you know, they rushed for 154 yards in the fourth, 162 yards in the fourth. That is why we saw those numbers. Every time the offense plays well, the run defense is a hell of a lot better. But so, so, and, and then with the offense playing so much better these last couple of weeks, you know, regardless of who's on the opposite side of the field, that is part of the reason why we're not seeing it as much versus like we saw the first half of the season, especially those first four games. But the one thing that has been pretty consistent is that secondary. So if the offense goes out and do its job, you know, you have Phillip Rivers going up against Deshaun Watson. I'm putting my money on Deshaun Watson. If the offense go out there and do their job, the Texans' run defense is going to be pretty sustainable, especially with J.J. Watt um, letting the fire under them as well. Um, but – of course, it's going to come down how are they going to contain T.Y. Hilton, a guy. I don't know what it is about the Texans, but ever since he has came into this league, he has put in work on Houston, and it has not stopped. I believe last year, as a matter of fact, he was basically hurt all through the season, and he came yeah, back yeah, just was... for a couple games, and he lit Houston up. And I was second there. It was nowhere near as bad as it was then. It was bad, but not as bad as it was now. So hopefully Bradley Roby can can find some kind of way to put some kind of clamps on him. But that yeah, that, I think Roby that said is that, didn't their, he? their number one key. Yeah, I think Roby said that when he signed, you know, he was going to cover T.Y., I think. And he didn't get a chance last year because he got injured in the KC game. And then we were up at Indy the week following and he hadn't made it. I don't think he made it back for that Thursday night game. I think he played 
the following week against New England, if my memory serves me right, last year. So, you know, I think he's not had a chance to go. He's done a decent job, I think, you know, matching up with our number one guy. And Philip Rivers, I think sort of two-thirds of his touchdowns have all been the tight ends, and that's been an issue for us as well. Uh, Trey mm-hmm. Burton had a good game last week, you know. Um, and they've got, you know, they've got a number of weapons. I think Pittman Jr. is sort of, you know, blossoming into the NFL player. I think many, many thought he would be coming out of UFC. So I think, you know, that it's going to be a challenge. Um, but it's going to be an acid test, I think, to see where this team on both sides of the ball has got to or not got to. Um, and being able to do that at home as well. I know there's limited fans in there, but we've got, we've got, a, got a bit of a chance uh, to do that. Uh, before we wrap up, Cody, have you got any preference for the GM or head coach? Um, not too much for GM as of right now. I think if I have to pick, I will pick for general manager. I might have to go way off the top of my head. Mike Bagunsky. I hope I'm saying his last name right. He's the oh, chief. Oh, Yeah, yeah, for chief. Yeah, he's yeah, the yeah. chief director of football operation. He actually put together the team that we see now. Um, maybe Ed Dodds the guy who is responsible for putting together the Seattle Seahawks um, Legion of Boom, you know, and their championship roster, I would say those two are my top candidate. As for coaches, look, everybody's top coach for the Texans is um, Eric Bieniemy. He's my top head coach as well. Um, but I also would like to see the Texans actually give Greg Roman, the Ravens offensive coordinator from um, – the Greg Roman, the Ravens offensive coordinator, a chance as well. You know, we we saw what he was able to do with Lamar Jackson unlocking his MVP potential. Um, you know, last year there was possibly if there wasn't the 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 best offensive team, there was they were surely second averaging, I think, 33 points and you know, rushing for well over 200 yards. And another reason why I would like to see Greg Roman, he actually has possibly the most experience of coaching a guy like Deshaun Watson with Watson's unique skill set. You know, you take a look at what he was able to do in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. And also, regardless how you feel about this guy now, he was part of the main reason why Carlin Kaepernick was such a dominating force through the first couple of years of his career. And, you know, you're talking about Colin Kaepernick. He actually led the, the 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 49ers to the Super Bowl. I believe that was in 2013, and they almost won it. And then he almost brought them back as well. And, you know, if it wasn't for a couple of questionable calls against Seattle, they possibly would have went all three years that Greg Roman was there. So I would like to see Greg Roman come in as head coach. Like I say, my top coach, my top coaching candidate is Eric Bieniemy, but right behind Bieniemy is Greg Roman. Those are the two guys I would like to see. Yeah, I think it's it's so wide open right now and I, I think it's uh it's probably what's going to make the off season, you know, for guys like us probably fun this year cuz it's start start something new. So hopefully we'll, the Texans will not uh you know, drag their heels too much and we'll get something you know, done reasonably quickly. I don't know what the where the search firms got up to. Or I know there was talk of this committee they were going to bring together, and I don't know why you bring a committee together if uh, if you if you're paying a search firm probably you know a million dollars or somewhere in that region. I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's going to be an interesting off season for us. Hopefully, we can make the rest of this season um, worthwhile, and it certainly feels like we're we're, we're on the on the journey to do that so far after two wins in a row. Uh, Corey Davis, thanks very much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, talking some Texans with us. Oh, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed my time, and hopefully we could be able to do this again.
Yeah, that was great. That was uh, Corey Davis from the Locked On Texas podcast and Sports Map Houston. Hopefully, we will be back next week to talk our divisional win against the Colts as the Texans host Indianapolis at Energy G Stadium, 12 Central kick uh thanks again for joining us please continue to download share and leave us a review on itunes or wherever you get uh, your podcast from thanks again for listening i will catch you again next week Bye.